Now, Lord, I pray that you would guide us into the truth that you want us to hear. Um, that you, God, you would guide my mind so that we would hear the words that you want us to hear and, and experience your spirit working as you want to work. Um, Lord, this is your time. We've been singing about it. We've read scriptures about it. But now, Lord, we want, we want you to do what you want to do exceedingly, abundantly more than all that we could ask or imagine. Take charge, God. Beyond the words that are spoken, I pray that your spirit would move among us to do, to speak, to change, to transform, to challenge, to comfort, to help, to heal. It's truly all about you. Just let me be a channel. In the name of Jesus, we put this time in your hands. Amen. As I've been praying about this message, I've got way, way, way more than I can share. Um, which is not a surprise to most of you. Um, but I've sensed, I, I, I've, God has been taking me to understand things and seeing things that uh, is so rich. Um, and so I've struggled to know exactly what it is that he wants us to talk about today. But here's where I've kind of landed. My desire is today to motivate you so write this down because it's not in your notes. Mm-hmm. To motivate you to spend time with God, to allow Him to reveal how He has been with you through your life. To spend time with God listening so that He can reveal to you how He's been with you and what He's been doing in your life, how He has been developing you, how He's been building and stretching, and deepening, and broadening, and building capacity to use you, and to work in you. Um, Because until he reveals it, um, there's a tendency to think that our lives are are, uh, random pieces, you know, just things happen, and, and we can't. We don't. We do. We don't connect the dots of what he's been doing, in order to send us forward. So my my purpose is is to give you the desire that when you leave, that sometime during this week you'll spend enough unhurried time with God to listen, for Him to show you what He has been doing in your past, that has brought you to this place, and that is preparing for what's next in your life. Got it? To spend enough unhurried time with God to listen to, so that he can reveal what he's been doing so that you can make sense of where you are now and what he has for you. Because until you're dead, God has a purpose for you. Amen. That's, just, that's just Bible from cover to cover. Until you're gone, he has numbered your days. 
And as long as you're still breathing, he's got a purpose for you that is beyond just taking up space. He wants to use you in ways that you don't even know. But sometimes we, we don't spend enough time to hear what his, his purposes are. So um, this is where I can't figure out what to do next. So I... Um, well, let me share. Uh, it, it's not that I'm struggling to say, I'm just the order. Because we need to get to Jehoshaphat here in a second. <laughs> so let me, let me share three things that, are, that I've experienced with God over the last year or so. Um, and, I, and I think I shared the first one with you a number of months back. I was praying, I was on my knees in my home office, and I was praying, and I don't know how I got to talk with God about um, why I had experienced stuff in my life. So why was it, why did I have to go through all of this hard, hard stuff in my life? And, um, and, what, and get, so God gave me one of those prayer pictures that he, he started taking me to points in my life most of you probably don't know that when um, I'm the oldest of my siblings, my mom was very young when she got pregnant with me. When she was only six to eight weeks pregnant, she got appendicitis. This was back in the ancient days. I don't know if they had medicine back in those days. And so she went to the hospital and she said to the doctor, I'm, I'm concerned that I'll lose the baby if I go under anesthesia and surgery. And the doctor said to her, you're young, you'll have more. Assuming that she would miscarry from the surgery and the anesthesia. And God took me, as I'm on my knees, God took me to that place. And he said, I was there. And then he took, then another picture came to mind when I was just a kid and I was being emotionally and verbally abused by my dad. And, I, and I've always, and it was always felt like I was alone. And God gave me the picture of him there saying, I was there. Mm-hmm. And the moment when I was about 12 or 13 years old, my dad had just take, just, just ream me out for something I'd done. And I could take you to the place where I was walking around the house and I just, just hurting so bad. And, and I'm walking around the house and I get to a particular place and it's not an it's not a, a audible voice of God. But I heard the Spirit of God say, no, you're not like that. You are not who your dad said you were. You're mine. And he took me moment after moment after moment saying, I was there. I was there. I was there. I was there. And it has transformed my memory, all those things that God was doing, I was there. A couple months later, um, I was praying and listening, and I heard God say, oh, and, and I was working on this study in Jehoshaphat, and I shared this with you a couple weeks ago, is God said, um, your circumstances have never been about you. They've always been about me. And those circumstances are mine. I have been working in them. 
to prepare you. And then just this last week, I was walking out here. Some some of you drive by and you see me walking going, Pastor Herb's lost his mind. He's walking the parking lot again. I don't know why he's out there. Um, But I I do that a lot. I walk to our parking lot and I pray and listen. And and as I'm praying, I, I remember I was on the far side of the parking lot and I was just as I began to pray, this joy, there was just a deep joy. God, thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you how you have healed me of so much of this stuff and how you've given me this incredible joy and pleasure of being with you and what you're doing. And, um, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm just, just thanking him. And, and I get to the place where I turn, almost ran into Russ the other day as he's coming in the driveway. And I... Um, and I, and I made the turn, and I sensed the Spirit of God say, you know, you're experiencing this because I could never let you have satisfaction, the satisfaction you long for in your relationship with your dad because you wouldn't have longed for me. Now, I'm not saying God arranged the abuse at all. I'm saying in, there are no exceptions to Romans 8.28. Amen. That when God uses things for good, he uses them for good. And so, but I sense him say that. And then he said, I could, I could never, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but my relationship, Sheila and I's relationship isn't, isn't perfect. I know that's a surprise for you because you know Sheila's perfect. <laughs> and I'm not. But we both came from such uh, dysfunctional families that our relationship we've struggled and I sense God say I, I could never let that be satisfied I could never le- let you be satisfied with that in a way that would cause you not to long for me Amen. because if you're satisfied with another human being if that's if that's what you long for and that's what you look at then you wouldn't continue to look for me and then with my kids. Now it's like three generations. And then he gave me pictures of the stuff that's going on with my kids. And he goes, I could never let you think that that was the focus of your life either. Because then you wouldn't long for me. The fact that nothing in this life will satisfy drives you to me. And you would never have experienced it unless you were desperate enough to long for me. And what's true for me is true for you. That God, our, our, write this down, our past prepares us for our present. That's why I want you to spend enough unhurried time with God for Him to show you what He's been doing in your past. You are, the place where you are right now is not an accident. God has always been working in your life. The enemy has all, will also always been working in your life. To steal, kill, and destroy. And he doesn't know the future, but he can see indications. And so he will attack those places where he thinks God is working. Mm-hmm. Your past has been preparation for your present. Your present is preparation for the future that God has for you. And if you're still breathing, everybody's still breathing? Take a deep breath. If you're still alive, if God, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, death is the victory. 
Death is what we're working for. Death is what we're living for. And so if you're still alive, it's because he's got a job for you. Amen. And for some of you, it might be a prayer warrior. You, you may not have the ability, physical ability or um, to do other things, but you can pray and you can work and you can befriend people. God has a purpose for you. And it's not to sit around and watch TV. It's not to waste time. It's not just to exist. It's because he's got an important responsibility for you. Your past has been preparing you for your present. And your present is preparing you for your future. But we have to get to that place where we're willing to surrender, listen, and obey. We're willing to come to Jesus empty-handed and say, Lord, whatever it is that you want. Here's what... And so as I'm walking around the parking lot, God says, I couldn't allow any of that to be fully satisfying because then you wouldn't be desperate enough for me. I got tears in my eyes going, God, this has all been part of your plan. You've been doing it. And again, he's not the one that did the abuse. He's not the one that caused Sheila and I's problems. Sheila is responsible for all of that. I'll have to take her out to eat for that one. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> I might have to take her to Cancun. Or, uh, you know. well, where was I? <laughs> He's not the one responsible for, for the angst. He's not the one responsible for the difficulties with my kids. But he uses it. And he drives it. And so, so I, when I'm realizing that, and I, and I come around, I'm coming around the, this, this way, and I get tears in my eyes in gratitude. Because I would not, I would give anything to have the kind of intimacy and pleasure with God that I have right now, that I didn't have five years ago. I would give anything. All of the pain and difficulty and desperation, I would not trade. I would not give it up. But here's what I also, and, and so, so what I'm experiencing is, is incredible. Four or five years ago, if God had revealed that to me, I would have been a puddle in my office at my crying couch. I, I would, those of you that don't know about the crying couch, if you come and see me, if you sit on that couch, you're going to cry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, so some people will actually sit on a chair in my office instead of on that couch. Anyway, I would, a few years ago, I would have just been a mess because of the enormity of that revelation. This time, I have tears in my eyes and a praise in my heart because God has expanded the capacity. God has grown me in intimacy and, and understanding so that whatever's next, I can be ready for so now I'm not a mess. I'm just appreciative. I, it's, a, it's a huge shift. I say all of that to say, let's go back to Jehoshaphat. Because last week we saw this. He walked into the impossible. Does anybody need a Bible? we got Bibles back there. Open your Bible to 2 Chronicles. We're going to look at some selected passages. Chapter 14. Very quickly. So last week, what we, what we saw was Jehoshaphat um, looked out 
and there's this massive army. They're all going to be destroyed. His response was to call a fast for everybody in the whole country. A fast, prayer, worship, seek God. And then he experienced God responding, delivers them. They didn't have to fight. We look at that sometimes as if um, that just happened. And that it's the end. In reality, God had been building in Jehoshaphat all of his life to get him to the point where he had the capacity to respond in a way where God could do the impossible. And that's what God has been doing in your life. That's why I want you to spend some unhurried time with God is to identify how he's been working in your life because that's an indicator of what he wants to do next. He's been building capacity in your life. So, very quickly, 2 Chronicles chapter 14. What we see, so um, Jehoshaphat is the fourth king of Judah. The first two kings, Jeroboam and um, I forget the second one, was, were evil kings. His dad, for some reason, Asa, was a good king. We don't know why, except that Asa said yes to God. And we find in chapter 14... Asa faced a similar situation to Jehoshaphat. Look at verse 9. 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 9. Um, he had been a reformer. He, would, he was a good king. He was trying to follow God. And it says, Zerah the Ethiopian came out against Judah and Asa with an army of a million men. Judah wasn't that big a country. A million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Mershah. And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zarephath. Um, that's not right. Zephathah. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you. Does this sound familiar? Last week we saw Jehoshaphat praying a similar prayer. O Lord, there is none like you to help. Between the mighty and the weak, help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, are you not our God? Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa turned to God. Now, do you suppose, I don't know how old, I don't even know if Jehoshaphat was born yet. A million people, he, God saved them. Because Asa turned to God. Um, do you suppose Jehoshaphat, when he was growing up, ever heard the story of a million men coming to attack? When the men were sitting around and all his aunts and uncles were having... Don't you suppose that at one point, remember Ace King Asa? When all of those, those chariots and... remember. Oh, yeah, and do you remember how we turned to God and we cried out to God and God delivered? Do you remember that? And then from that point on, as they're coming back into the city, there's a, uh, a prophet who confronts Asa and says, the Lord is with you while you are with him, in chapter 15, verse 2. Put away the idols. And then eventually he even removed his own mother who was worshiping an idol because he was committed to God. That's Asa. That's his dad. So Jehoshaphat grows up under that, and then eventually 
he takes the throne. His dad was a reformer. His dad saw the hand of God. His dad told the stories. And now he takes the throne. Gave him a good heritage. Now, that's, it doesn't happen automatically. I want you to look at me, look at me, look at me. It happens because a man turns to God and is willing to surrender to God, is willing to put the idols away, is willing to make God, is to obey God, surrender, listen and obey, and follow God. Because king after king after king after king after king in Israel were evil. There were, there were none good in the northern kingdom. In, in the southern kingdom, there, you, you see the list and you see Asa and Jehoshaphat were the only two father and son that were good. You go a little bit farther down and you find one here that's good, starts out good, then he turns to you. You just don't see that very many until you get down to Hezekiah and he's good. But he did it because God, because he responded well to God. God wants to use you. But it doesn't happen because he's been preparing you. Because all of your life, God has been working in your life to arrange circumstances. When things were horrible, he was there. And the devil was there trying to get you. But God wants to use every single thing for good in your life. Every single thing. God will work all things together for good. To those who love him, that means they're following him. They're obeying him. That includes you. Your past has been preparing you for your present. And your present is preparing you for the future. And not just you. It could be. It very well could. So this this um, thing that I keep harping on, pray for revival and spiritual awakening. That may have nothing to do with us. It may have to do with our children's generation. We just have to surrender, listen, and obey. Because so oftentimes we don't see the results of it. Asa never saw his son turn to God like he did. But he had impact. Some of us have the invitation by God to be praying and loving on our kids and our grandkids. And we will never see the results. We'll be in heaven. Or maybe we can see from heaven. But we won't see him in our lifetime. That's why it's so important that we surrender, listen, and obey. We go um, a little bit farther into Second Chronicles, and I mentioned this last time, um, or, or a couple of weeks ago. Jehoshaphat takes, he's, he's a young king, and he makes this bad mistake to join the evil king in Israel, Ahab, and go to war. Against the advice of a prophet they heard. If you want more, you can listen to an earlier sermon against the instruction of the prophet, they, he went to war. He disobeyed God. But he didn't get killed. Because God knew his heart. And I just, I just wonder if at some point, maybe Jehoshaphat had a similar experience to me, is when he's praying to God and, and, and reviewing his life. And God didn't say, you know, Jehoshaphat, I was there when you were being disobedient, and I kept all those arrows, all those spears, all those chariots from harming you because I knew you would turn to me. And he learned from it. He came back 
and renewed his efforts to reform, get rid of all the idols and all of the um, Asherah poles that people worshipped at. And, and he was a really good king. And he, um, in fact, he even sent people out throughout all the priests and Levites and prophets and leaders throughout the whole country of Judah, teaching the law of God. So everybody, everybody in his kingdom would hear what God demanded. And the reforms and people's lives changed. And Judah became a, a, a true Yahweh following country. And, and so the reforms continued. And then we get to chapter 20 when he faces the impossible. You see how all of this was leading up. His heritage, the story of his father, his mistake with Ahab. And he comes back, the reforms. He aggressively spreads the word of God. All of this is happening and is building capacity in Jehoshaphat to become the man of God that God wants him to be so that when he faces the impossible, instead of throwing up his hands or trying to handle it himself, he goes to God like his father did and then he experiences the impossible. In your life, you've made mistakes. I know that's a surprise. Right? We've all blown it. And what the devil wants to do is when you remember that, is for you to do his job. Here's what his job is. Is to keep you from having the abundant life and the freedom in God that he has designed you to have by holding on to shame. Because we've all made mistakes that we are ashamed of. That if we could go back, man, would we change it. But there are no exceptions to Romans 8.28. So even the stuff that you blew, God wants to use. But he can't use it if you're stuck in shame. Here's how, here's how we oftentimes do the devil's work. We remember those mistakes that we made and we're ashamed of it. We don't want to tell anybody. We don't even want to talk to God about it. And we think we're bad people. And, and, and I hear people say, God could never forgive me for that. You're doing the devil's job. He doesn't even have to do it anymore. You're doing it for him. Here's what he wants you to reframe. By spending that unhurried time with God, allowing him to reframe. I was there, I was there, I was there, I was there. And now this is what I was doing. And this is how I want to reclaim that. What happens now is instead of you feeling shame, you go to him and he says, here's what I'm I want to teach you from that bad mistake. So instead of pointing his finger... Here's what you ought to be hearing from God. As you think about that stuff that you've done in the past, here's what you ought to be hearing from God. What did you learn? What will you do different? How will you surrender to me more fully so that I can build capacity in you and make you useful to me? That's what he wants us to do. And I wonder if that's what Jehoshaphat experienced. When he would think about his escapade with Ahab that almost took his life, if maybe God was saying, what did you learn from that? You're never going to do that again, are you? No, because I'm going to follow God. So when the devil brings that stuff up to you, as you're spending that unhurried time with God, you're going back through your past and you're looking at your present, here's the question from God. What did you learn? I forgave you. It's done deal. I've, you know, I've removed it as far as the east is from the west. It's in the past. What are you going to learn from that? Because if the devil can't trigger you anymore, 
And every time you think about something, you're thinking about how God was there. The devil's got no foothold. And it gives you power, it gives you capacity, and he's been expanding that capacity. Now, look very quickly at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 28. 2 Chronicles 20, 28. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres. This is after Jehoshaphat turned to God. God said, you don't have to fight this battle. They turned on each other. All the armies fought each other. They took home three days worth of, um, of booty from it. Um, and now they're coming back into Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. Why? Because it's just like with the kids. Anything, any, God does anything, it's a, it's a cause for worship. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. The point wasn't Jehoshaphat. And the point is not you. The point is how is God going to work in your life so powerfully that the the word of who God is spreads all around you. That's the point. And that's what the devil wants to keep from happening. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Then Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. And he goes on to give us some details. God is always trying to build capacity. He's always trying to build capacity by the things that you go through, by the difficulties that you have to wallow through as you surrender and listen and obey. He's building capacity to experience the abundant life that he wants you to experience, the pleasure, the intimacy, the alignment. He's building capacity on how he can use you, on your gifts and your abilities and your talents. He's building capacity on how, on the, on the, the breadth of the pipeline of his presence flowing through you by, by releasing all of that stuff, by growing you, by, um, um, by the experiences that you have. He's always building capacity. And all we have to do is surrender, listen, and obey. He's always doing the heavy work. So that is the reason I keep saying our response to difficulties should be this is going to be good. Right? This is going to be good. I know, so I noticed this week what time does the Steelers play? Okay. How many times the Bible says rejoice when you're facing difficulties. Look at James chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. It says, count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy. This is going to be good when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and the steadfastness must have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, trusting that God is going to work, not wondering how he's going to do it. That's not the doubting part. The doubting part is God can't do it. He says, not doubting, knowing that God can do anything. He increases our capacity so that 
we can face harder and more difficult situations and bigger impossibilities knowing that he's going to be in charge. And then Luke chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. Blessed are you when people hate you. Blessed and one with God when they hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you. Spurn and, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day when people don't like you, when people hurt you, when people attack you. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Are you kidding me? When you know when you spend enough unhurried time with God to know how he has been there all along and he's been preparing you for the present and now he's preparing you for the future, you know that when this stuff comes, it's not because God is not there, it's because he is there and he's going to use it to develop capacity to be the man or woman of God that he wants you to be so that you can be a pipeline for his presence no matter where you are. Military commanders put their best people in the hottest fire. Military people put their best soldiers into special forces training. So if you're going through really hard, hard stuff, it's not because God's not there. It's because he is. And he, and he wants you to be developed into the person that he can use most effectively. And when you are, then you experience the abundant life and the kind of pleasure that intimacy brings. Where you can walk this parking lot with me and remember the hard things that have happened and be grateful. Because what you have as a result cannot be compared with the difficulties that you've been through. We have, um, you saw, we got two little granddaughters with us. Um, Our daughter Amber came from California, brought them, and left them. (laughs) And now we're alone with them. They left Wednesday night. Sheila and I were very content in our bed about 1 o'clock Wednesday night, 1 o'clock in the morning on Thursday. And um, we feel a presence in our bedroom. (laughs) Look over and there's a head just kind of above the bed and a little voice um, saying, I I need somebody to snuggle with. (laughs) All right, come on in. Wasn't that long, uh, a couple hours later, I think, and then the other one came in the bedroom because the first one wasn't there when she woke up and um, so she said, I, I need somebody. And at that point, Sheila left me. <laughs> and so I was, I had a five-year-old on this side and a seven-year-old on this side. And, uh, I don't know if you've been around these kind of beings lately, but they don't sleep very still. <laughs> so there's thrashing around and moving around. So after a couple hours of that, I thought, man, I, I, about four o'clock in the morning, I got to get at least a couple hours of good sleep. So I bailed and left the two in that bed. I walked by the guest room where I thought Shilly would probably be, but she wasn't. I walked downstairs. She was on the couch. 
I think she's trying to find some place where they wouldn't find her. <laughs> and I went on the single bed that I, in my office at, at home where kind of doubles as a guest bed. And it wasn't but a little while later and the five-year-old comes down and I hear my door open. She said, I need somebody to snuggle with. So there, she found me there, and so she was there. And the next thing I hear is crying coming down the stairs because the seven-year-old woke up and no one was around. And she comes down, and she finds Nana in the living room. And, and so I decided I'm going to charge my daughter for the number of beds that I have to go to every night. But it got me thinking about... Um, the picture of God as grandparent and us as the child. Because what God really wants is for us to long to be with him so much that we can't sleep without him. Amen. We want to be close. We want to be snuggling with him. We want to have his presence. And we're willing to do whatever we need to to get there. The problem is so oftentimes we don't think God wants that. And we need to spend enough unhurried time with God to let him reframe that. And, and enough time in his word to realize that when he says, come to me, that's what he means. Come to me, those who are weary and heavy, come to me, those who long for that satisfaction. Because those little girls, as soon as they got close to somebody that loved him, fell asleep. The grandparents didn't. But the children did. And I'm just wondering if that, if, if you don't need to allow God to reframe, when he says, come to me, because he wants to build capacity so that he can use you for the rest of your life. Lord, I pray that you would take what we've talked about and that you would reveal the truth that each one of us need to hear. And you would give us the determination to surrender, listen, obey with a desperateness about it that we can experience you, God, and that you would activate your promises that when we do, you'll be there and you'll be working and we'll find an abundant life that we can't even imagine. Draw us to yourself this week. God, Lord, I pray for each person that takes the effort to spend some time with you, that your spirit Right now, God, I pray your spirit will reach in and speak. Um, give, them the, give them the pictures that they need. Give them the words that they need. Let them hear your voice and let them be different because of it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.